Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. My name is Yasha Zaitz, and today we will talk about sleep. My guest in today's episode is Richard Jacobs, host of Future Tech Podcast and Future Tech Health Podcast. By now, he has interviewed over 1,800 companies in AI, stem cell, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, space exploration, and more. He conducted over a hundred interviews about sleep with various sleep experts, which he did due to his personal problems with sleep. He later turned his knowledge in the Good Night Sleep Project, making custom-tailored pillows based on individuals' 14 personal characteristics. You will hear more about the basics of sleep hygiene, the importance of sleep, and the harm lack of sleep can cause to our health. Enjoy the show! And if you want to hear any of those over 100 interviews on sleep from Richard, visit the Future Tech Health Podcast website or find the show in your podcast player. I also added the link to the show's website to our show notes. As always, if you like the conversation, leave a rating or a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I highly appreciate it as it really helps other people find the show as well. You can also subscribe to the show to be notified about next episodes automatically. Coming up next, a discussion about space health. Also, you're kindly invited to visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com where you can find recaps of all the shows, a nice browser through the content and also instructions on how to leave a review in iTunes. Now, let's hear how you can improve your sleep. Richard, before the Future Tech Podcast and the Future Tech Health Podcast, which have been running since 2016, you're actually a marketing specialist, more specifically working for attorneys and law firms. Can you tell me a little bit about your previous work and how you turned your uh, focus to healthcare? Yeah, so for 10 years, I've been doing marketing for attorneys, which is great. You know, they're good people and I, I enjoy helping them, but I'm very restless. And unfortunately, you know, near the end of 2016, I, I got into a car accident and at night, someone ran me off the road and, you know, I got a concussion. So at the hospital, they did a, a you know, like a scan on my head and the doctor said, oh, you have nodules in your thyroid. So, uh, okay, what does that mean? So it turns out I went to a thyroid doctor and I had thyroid cancer. So it was a good thing that I got into the accident, otherwise I wouldn't have known that. Um, so I, I really decided, all right, I need to do everything I can to improve my health and get past this. And that's what sparked my interest in health. Uh, you've been in the space for two years now. Obviously, I must ask, what fascinated you most in your research? So which were your favorite topics in the healthcare innovation apart from sleep, which we will come to later? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, Literally, it's been three years now, the past. So I've done um, 2,100 podcasts. The areas I think are really fascinating is like evolutionary biology. You know, where did life come from? And are cells uh, cognitive? Can they think? Can bacteria think? And I believe that they do after talking to hundreds and hundreds of scientists. 
you know, not in the way we can, but I definitely think that they do have cognition, even though it's limited. Um, I think the, the greatest thing is I've just been, I've become amazed at life. You know, I, I'll just take people, for instance. You know, I, I interviewed this guy named Dennis Noble. He's a very famous, um, you know, scientist. And he said that uh, it's thought that in the human body, there are 10 to the 70,000 possible interactions. And when he told me that, I literally laughed. I, I just, I couldn't believe that it was so complex. I think that uh, the more science advances, the more we realize that the less we know, it's always like that with knowledge. But when it comes to the human body, um, things are constantly changing. Uh, there was a, an idea that when the whole genome will be se sequenced, we will be able mm -hmm. to predict everything. Then it turned out that there's much more to it. Now the big question is the influence of microbiome on our health. So there's really mm -hmm. a lot to talk about when it comes to health. Yeah, the, uh, just for a minute, um, there's a really cool concept called the holobiont. So you and I and, you know, my dog and all these other creatures, we're all composed of our own cells, but we're composed of thousands of different bacteria and fungi and yeast and all kinds of things. So we're really a super organism. And you wonder who's calling the shots. You know, like without our bacteria in our body, there's a lot of things we couldn't do and we wouldn't last very long. So it, it's weird. We're not one thing. We feel like we're one thing, but in a lot of senses, we're not. We're this collection of all these organisms. So it's just a really weird thing to think like that. There's a lot of amazing things uh, about the um, uh, cells and organisms in the body. Uh, if I turn to sleep, Matt Walker, the author mm -hmm. of the book Why We Sleep, uh, he explains that if you sleep for four hours a night, the immune system responds in a way that there's a 70% drop in a natural killer cell activity, uh, which basically means that you have a higher chance of breast cancer, prostate cancer, and uh, bowel cancer, which is also why the World Health Organization um, marked night shift as a cancerogenous uh, factor in health. Before you started your own project called the Good Night Sleep Project, you did 110 uh, interviews with sleep experts. And uh, on your webpage, you mentioned that every time that you met any of them, uh, you asked them, why can't I sleep through the night like everyone else? Can you tell me a little bit about what the answers were? You know, unfortunately, I've been having sleep problems for like 20 years. You know, and over the years, I've gotten heavier and, you know, I started to snore and I did have and still do have apnea when I sleep on my back. It means you stop breathing during the night multiple times. So I, I ended up sleeping on my side like a lot of people do. But the problems continued. And, you know, I remember at one point I said to my wife, I said, you know, I haven't slept through the night without waking up at least a couple of times in like probably 15 years now, 20 years. And you know, it's just been impacting my health more and more. And along with the thyroid stuff, I realized, you know, I have to get, I have to improve my sleep because it's really impacting me. So I started interviewing different sleep professionals, some for insomnia, some for sleep apnea, some for snoring, et cetera. And I started to learn that, you know, it's, it's, it's a complex problem. So, you know, when someone says, oh, I can't sleep, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that you wake up five times a night and your mouth is dry? Or when you wake up, you can't get back to bed. 
Or does it mean that you snore and your partner can't stand it and can't sleep in the bedroom with you? Or like, do you have apnea and you're waking up exhausted every morning? You know, like, so not being able to sleep is, is like an umbrella statement. There's a lot of things hidden in there. So in order to solve what's going on with you, it's hard because, you know, you're asleep. You don't know what's going on. Most people that snore or have apnea don't know what's happening to them. So you have to go for like a sleep study where you go to a lab. They hook up all these electrodes to your head and they watch you sleep all night. And they see how many times you stop breathing or you snore or you toss and turn or you, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's one major diagnostic for the sleep world. So I had to go through all that. I had to ask questions. I had to think about what was going on when I slept. You know, I had to make a lot of little improvements. Like I got blackout curtains because the light was coming into my room and waking me up. Um, I put on a white noise machine because I don't like, you know, dead silence. Um, you know, I would sleep in my own bed. I wasn't sleeping with my wife at the time because, again, of the snoring, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it led me to the creation of the Good Night Sleep Project. Uh, and it, uh, what we make is a custom-tailored pillow that you put, you know, you rest your head on. And that's really helped improve my sleep quite a bit, along with all the other work I did. So that's a... Did you actually go to a sleep disorder center to get all the testing that uh, determines what are your, if there are any medical reasons for poor sleep? Yeah, yeah, I did. It, it wasn't easy, too, because, I, you know, like they have what's called different chronotypes, you know, early birds and night owls. Well, I'm like a super late night owl. You know, I usually go to bed at three or four in the morning and get up at 11 or noon. Whenever I tell someone that, they're like horrified, you know. I get eight hours, sometimes a bit more every night, but, you know, I go to bed super late. I've been doing it for a long time and I, I try to go to bed earlier and, you know, it's this whole big deal. Um, so the sleep study place tells me, oh, we need you to be here by eight o'clock and you'll, you got to go to sleep by nine. I say, how am I supposed to do that? I go to sleep at like three or four. And they say, oh yeah, we kick you out at 6am. I said, there's no point in me coming. So, so I had to work with a few places to find one that would go later and let me stay later in order to get it done. It took a while, but I eventually did. But yeah, I did the sleep study. That's kind of one of my main concerns when it comes to sleep disorders. There's plenty, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, central sleep apnea, insomnia. Then there's circadian rhythm sleep disorders and all other uh, disorders that are out there. Narcolepsy uh, one is also one of them. And then... On the other hand, it's relatively difficult to get to a sleep expert or to a sleep center. It seems to me that um, for the majority of people, it's up to them to really take care of their sleep however they can. See, there's a lot of cultural issues around sleep. So, like, I go to bed late and wake up late. So, therefore, I'm a bad person. I'm lazy. I'm this, that. That's the perception. You know, the early bird gets the worm. Uh, our culture, at least in the U.S., and probably worldwide, rewards the people that get up early. But if you're not one of those people and you're forced to get up early, it's not good for you, you know? Uh, there's a big problem with school start times for teenagers. Mm -hmm. Teenagers, it's been demonstrated scientifically, produce melatonin way later at night than, you know, adults or kids do, and they need to sleep later. Their, their chronotype is shifted late. So school start times of 7 a.m. are terrible for these kids. And there's been studies showing when you have school start times of 8 or 9 o'clock, grades go up, less accidents in the parking lot, et cetera. 
because you're catering to that person's chronotype. Then you've got shift workers, people that work like, you know, all night long, uh, one week and then all day long the next week and all night and all day. And that's terrible for you. You know, there's people that travel and there's jet lag and, but you know, there's so much wound up around sleep. It's such a, um, a cultural thing that it's not even so easy to fix your problems. You know, if, yeah. Like, like for instance, again, for, for many years I snored. So we want to go on vacation. I have to get a separate room to sleep in because I don't want to snore my family awake all night. I feel bad. And it's embarrassing. Like, you know, here's another example. So um, I believe it's the American Academy of Sleep Medicine says 25% of all couples don't sleep in the same bed because they're snoring. So do you want to admit that to somebody? Oh yeah. Me and my husband and me and my wife haven't slept in the same bed in 10 years. Because I snore, he snores. No one wants to say that. It's embarrassing. And if that's your situation, you think, hmm, I wonder if they're cheating on me. I wonder if they're like texting somebody. You know, maybe I have a loss of intimacy in my relationship. So people have to understand there's a lot of emotional stuff caught up in sleeping. It's not just a cut and dry, like medical thing to fix. Exactly. By the way, if it makes you feel any better regarding the early birds issue, uh, a circadian neuroscientist, uh, Russell Foster, said in his TED talk that uh, it doesn't really matter if you go to sleep uh, late or early and wake up early. The only uh, thing that's common to those who get up early is that they are incredibly smug. So that's yeah. one thing to know. That's funny. Yeah, sure. sure. There are a few examples that sleep experts will tell you are the basics of uh, good sleep hygiene. So the environment is important. It should be uh, cooler rather than warmer. The mattress is important. Mm. The light is important. Noise is important. You shouldn't drink coffee after lunch. Um, another uh, very commonly heard advice is to not use electronic devices before sleep. Uh, can you tell me a little bit right. about your perspective on uh, these advices? And uh, did you find that you were doing something wrong? I feel like I'm a hard case. I'm not just like a simple solution. So again, I go to bed really late and I get up late. So it, it's obvious, but I realized, wait a minute, three or four of the hours I'm sleeping, the sun is up. And sure, the room is somewhat dark, but the sun's still coming in. And And I noticed the second half of my sleep was a lot more disrupted. So I thought, all right, I need to make the room as dark as possible because this sunlight is disturbing me. It just is. So I got blackout curtains and that helped. Falling asleep, it didn't take me too long to fall asleep, but um, my nose would get stuffed up a lot. And I'd wake up and be constantly thirsty. So in the winter, I got a humidifier, which helped. But I still was somewhat thirsty. When I improved my diet and I had less dairy, I pretty much cut it out. And I had, you know, I went low carb. Not only did I lose weight and I had a whole bunch of other benefits, but my allergies, I noticed, went away almost completely. And when that happened, I slept a lot better because I could breathe through my nose now sometimes. And I had a backup for breathing and not just my mouth. So my mouth wasn't so dry. So that was another big help. Um, you know, I tried melatonin and it seemed to help me fall asleep a little faster, but didn't really, you know, affect my sleep that much. Um, you know, I, of course, for a short while, tried sleeping pills, but those are terrible. You would, you would, you essentially would be unconscious, but you wouldn't sleep. You wouldn't feel rested. Um, you know, I lost some weight in the process, which helps with my snoring and everything. My wife said my snoring used to be loud. Now it's like barely audible at all. 
Um, I went as far, like I said, at, at some point to create a custom tailored pillow for my head because my pillows kept getting flapped and my mattress would kept just, you know, kept distorting. So at least in the pillow part, I made a custom thickness pillow for myself. So my head is level. So I'm not sleeping with the head up or head down. And that helped again with the breathing. I, I made a pillow that I hug. So when I lay on my side, I don't roll forward, you know, onto my face and disturb my sleeping. So that helped again with the, with the snoring and helped me sleep better. So for me, it took 10, 12 different things over like, two years in order to really lick this problem. And even now, sometimes I still have disturbances. Again, it's not a, a one a one shot solution. Like this takes thought, this takes time, and this takes a little bit of experimentation, which is what makes it difficult. Most people don't want to do that. And they don't respect their sleep enough to want to do that. Did you work with any uh, sleep scientists or neuroscientists when you were designing your custom-made uh, pillow project? You know, there's so many technical solutions that are trying to analyze sleep. There's sensors that uh, measure brain waves during the night or sensors that mm. help you meditate and relax before you get to sleep. You had a really interesting interview with the CEO and co-founder of Lumos that is addressing mm -hmm. the problem of jet lag um so yep. you know a pillow seems a little bit of an interesting uh, undertaking well what i like about it is it's a very low tech solution in order to make the pillow right we use high tech stuff like we use ai and machine vision to get your measurements right because i want to make a pillow custom to you like you know some people have no necks some people have a very long neck some people have wide heads or narrow heads or wide shoulders or So we, we have the person take a picture of themselves and we use, again, machine vision to extract all their measurements and we make a custom pillow for them. But the pillow itself is actually very low tech, but it works really well. It doesn't need any sensors or anything like that. That's, that's going on with a lot of other people that are in this field. You know, I looked, I looked and I saw what are people doing? So they're putting sensors in pillows, they're using Fitbits, you know, all this other stuff. So I decided to go again, low tech, but a mechanical solution. So the mechanical solution is if you're sleeping and your neck and your head and all that are aligned, first of all, you're not going to have as much neck pain. Your airway will be as open as it possibly can be. And that's important because I looked and I saw that just like a garden hose, the, uh, your, your, your throat is only 0.6 to 0.8 inches in circumference. That's it. So it's very easy for that thing to get Um, impinge and even close off and stop your breathing. And one of the main things I learned from interviewing all these people is that obviously, you know, if you can't breathe, you're dead. But if your breathing is compromised during the night, 20, 30 times an hour, your body is going, <gasps> and it's bringing you out of deep sleep or it's bringing you out of dream sleep to try to breathe. It has to work, make extra effort to breathe. So what you tell me, what happens if you're trying to sleep and you're trying to go through your sleep cycles And you're coming out of those cycles almost to wakefulness 20, 30 times an hour or 50 times an hour. You're going to have a horrible sleep. And I deliberately did not want sensors in it because here's a whole other discussion, but devices near the bed or in the bed or, you know, all this electromagnetic radiation uh, it should not be there in your bedroom. It does disturb your sleep. And there's many scientific studies showing that. So I don't want to put sensors in a pillow. I don't want to put more sensors on the person. 
Um, I'm curious about one thing based on your 110 interviews. Ariana Huffington raised the awareness that we need to get rest to be able to function normally. But uh, perhaps before that, there were a lot of uh, historic figures that are often mentioned that did not get much sleep during the night. And that's how I think in capitalistic society, a sort of competition began where people would brag about how little sleep they got. What did you uh, get in your research regarding this? Uh, experts do say um, that adults, for example, need seven to eight hours of sleep a day. Teenagers need 10 hours. Do, do you see that this um, myth that five hours a night or four hours a night are good for you or incre can increase your productivity that is diminishing around you? There's a very small percentage of people that are called short sleepers. There's another term for them. So there are some people that can sleep four or five hours a night, but they're, they're a minority, very few. Everyone thinks they're a short sleeper. Oh, yeah, I, can, you know, I function fine and all that. Here's what I want listeners to think about. There's seven nights a week, okay? How many of those nights on average do you wake up feeling good, not be like, oh, you don't need coffee to wake up. You feel clear during the day. You don't feel exhausted after lunch. You don't feel sleepy and then get a second wind. Like, how many of your days do you wake up and you're like, yeah, I slept really well. I feel good. I have energy throughout the day. I don't need stimulants and all. You know, and for most people, that could be maybe only three out of seven or zero out of seven nights. I would take that as a direct correlation with your health. The more days a week you wake up feeling like you slept really well, the better your health will be. And if you're not experiencing you know, at least five nights a week or maybe six or seven nights a week where you wake up and you feel great, then that means your sleep is not nearly as good as it could be, which means your health is not going to be nearly as good as it could be. You know, there's one thing that I was also thinking about when I was doing some research on sleep deprivation. On one hand, all the scientists say, Sleep de deprivation is bad for your health, is, it's bad for longevity, it decreases your cognitive abilities. After all, sleep deprivation is also among the torture techniques. You can get higher yep. blood pressure, diabetes. But, you know, when you have kids, uh, babies, they tend to wake you up several times at night. So does this mean that, you know, the more kids you have, the the worse your your health will be? I don't think there's a correlation. So that was just an interesting consideration that I had when I was thinking about this issue. Yeah, a lot of parents have problems. I mean, so this is different advice. But what I would say, like what I did with my wife is we worked as a team. My wife knew I'm working, I need to sleep during the night. But then during the day, she would be exhausted and she would need to take a nap. So I would take our, our child, you know, we have three, but I would take our child for a couple hours and she would take naps. We worked together. Sometimes she just was like really tired. I say, go to the movies. I'll take care of the baby and you go and relax and then help rejuvenate her. Go take a bath, you know, so whatever it is. So with couples, if the couples are, are going to fight with each other and both have to get up every time the baby gets up. Yeah. You're both, everyone's going to feel like crap and you're going to have a horrible time. If you work together and you say, you know what, I'll take the first shift. You take the next shift or you sleep through the night. And then you, you know, I want to take naps later. Everyone's happier. So that advice I've given to people and then life is a lot better. 
uh, one of the problems people encounter uh, when they uh, have poor sleep is that they get into this circle when they drink a lot of coffee to wake up and then they either take sleeping pills or drink alcohol in order to get to sleep. So among the expert advices in order to improve your sleep is also uh, making your sleep patterns regular. So going to bed the same time uh, in the day and avoid alcohol and coffee. You know, I, I used to drink coffee up till midnight and I thought I was like a Superman. But the, the more I paid attention to my sleep, the more I figured out what to do to help myself. So sometimes I would eat close to bed and a couple of times I almost threw up in my sleep. So I learned the hard way. Do not eat before you go to bed and make sure there's a couple hours before you sleep. Uh, in terms of alcohol, you know, I don't drink anymore, but when I used to, Again, I would just feel like crap and my sleep would be horribly disrupted. I would wake up not feeling good. So they told me, don't drink alcohol before you go to sleep, you know, or drink a little, very little. Uh, coffee, I've noticed now if, you know, I, I stopped having coffee earlier and earlier and earlier because I would still sleep through the night, but I just wouldn't feel as rested or I'd feel a lot more restless or I'd wake up to pee a couple times. So it was just by paying attention to what's going on is where you'll see the differences. I, I hear from a lot of people, like I'll say to them, oh, how do you sleep? And they go, oh, I sleep pretty well. And then after, like, for instance, they use the pillow, then they'll tell me, oh, yeah, I had this pain, but now it's gone. Or, oh, yeah, I was waking up three or four times, but now I'm not. Like, people don't realize because they don't think about sleep. It sounds silly, but you're not aware when you sleep, so you kind of just don't think about it. It's like a dream. You wake up and you don't remember it. I, I think that's what happens with a lot of people is, like, they're just not focused on the sleep, so they just say yeah, yeah, I sleep okay. And then they haven't really looked at it closely. So you need to look at it closely if you feel like you're having a problem and that will help you to figure out what's going on. One thing to do if you're trying to analyze your sleep is definitely getting informed and the 110 interviews that you did are available, uh, some of them at least, uh, at your Future Tech Health podcast, which I will include to my uh, show notes. But uh, just before we wrap up this discussion, I have uh, one last question for you. And that is uh, because you are a marketing expert, given your expertise and the rising number of digital health and healthcare startups and companies, how do you assess what you read and stumble upon is uh, valid and has some measure? And what is just well a, a well marketed company well a lot of it you just have to try i mean you can read reviews you can call the company see if they answer uh you can see what the company you know the information they put out and all that but at some point try it i mean if it's a sleeping pill okay well maybe it could hurt your health maybe not i don't know but if someone has like a fitbit or a new pillow or a new mattress or whatever it is and the price point's not very high try it and see what happens. It's not going to kill you for the most part. That's really the best way. Like, you know, someone has a sleep mask. Like, I, I got to try a whole bunch of sleep masks. I didn't know until I tried them that, oh, this one's, you know, squeezes my head. I don't like it. This one, like, presses on my eyes. I don't, you know, oh, this one works great. Okay. I, I had to buy, like, four of them to get to that point. But you just have to, like, try stuff. You can't, you say, I'm not doing anything unless I know for sure it's going to help me. Like, you know, again, try stuff. That's the best way. From what I found. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. 
To find out more, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, stay tuned.